It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for The Athletic, Sam Amick. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. As I mentioned, brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air. Check them out online, leesheatac.com. Out to the T-Mobile special guest line we go. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Makes the magic happen at The Athletic. He's our friend Sam Amick. Hi, Sam. How are you today? Hey, guys. Doing well. Good to be back with you. Sorry about the uh, hiatus last week. All good, all good, no problems at all. In fact, it, it was good hearing your voice on the Zoom call with Donovan Mitchell this morning. You were asking him a little bit about Quinn Snyder. What you think about what you heard? Yeah, no, it was good. Uh, you know, I was just telling Austin off air a little bit. Um, sometime in the near future, going to probably be writing something about the uh, the coaching experience and, and for you know every coach that's in Orlando and and just how unique it is. And, you know, Donovan was good on that topic and, and just kind of hitting on the fact that it's just so much greater than X's and O's right now for everybody, but in particular for the guys that are leading coaching staffs and the guys who, um, as you guys know, you know, the coaches and the staff members won't have family with them in Orlando for the duration. And, uh, you know, and then all the other things happening in the world right now, not only the virus, but the social justice conversation that the players care so much about and, and the coaches do as well. And all of that stuff, it's uh, it's cliche, but, you know, the bigger the basketball tag applies to, to their jobs right now. And, you know, it certainly seemed like Donovan was uh, giving a, a hearty thumbs up to the job that Quinn's been doing. You're not suggesting, are you, Sam, that these guys are actual human beings? <laughs> First of all, Gordon, uh, I enjoyed your column today, my friend. I, I gotta, oh, I gotta find a way to work idiots into my copy more often. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thanks. But, but yeah, but they well, and it's in the same vein, right? Because it's just they are human beings, and we are to varying degrees, you know, in this thing together uh, right now. And, and that's been one of the more interesting parts of the experience for me professionally is is how, you know, if I'm being honest, you know, I spent nearly 20 years, I guess 16 or so, covering the league when it's not always easy to bridge the gap between guys that make, multi, you know, multi-million dollar uh, salaries and, you know, and, and media guys like myself who do well for our industry, but it's just a different world. And the common threads are always tricky to find. And now, more than ever, um, you know, we're, we're fighting the same fight in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, I mean, they are human. And, and it's been fun to see these players remind people of that. The other day, I don't know if you guys saw, but Victor Oladipo of the Pacers had a, a pretty passionate little speech during his media session about how he was choosing. You know, wasn't sure if he wanted to play for health reasons. And he's kind of saying, if I was your brother, if I was your son, you know, what would you tell me? You would tell me do what's best for you. And so I think it's definitely good for people to remember that reality. So with that in mind, Sam, as we look at some of the social media posts and uh, I found a new Twitter account that is specifically from the bubble today and we yep. see the memo that the NBA is is sending out about reminding people not to bring others into the bubble. I mean, guess give me your overall perspective on how things are going thus far. 
I mean, tough to tell because I'm obviously I'm not there yet. I, I am scheduled to be there in late August. Um, you know, from what I see, from what I hear, seems like it's going reasonably well. The you know the anonymous tip line has gotten a lot of attention, and from what we've been told, at least as of as of earlier today, you know the the uh, <laughs> the stuff getting reported on that hotline was relatively innocent. Um, you know, you've had a few mishaps. Rashawn Holmes of the Sacramento Kings did food delivery, and, and he basically, you know, unintentionally crossed the campus border and, and kind of got, you know, put himself back into, uh, I think, eight days of quarantine, something like that. So, you know, little slip-ups here and there, but um, going well. Now, the one thing that I do think is still just not being – they're not being transparent about is, you know, the league is not telling us who's been testing positive and who's not uh, in terms of players still making their way into Orlando. I mean, the Denver Nuggets, for example, you know, today on their call, one of their players readily admitted they only have between eight and ten players at practice and, you know, draw whatever conclusions you want to out of that. Um, the, uh, the Lakers got a little kind of strange yesterday regarding Marquise Morris and the fact that we now know he's not in Orlando. So um, that, you know, next week when these scrimmages start and the lights go on and we get to see who's there and who's not, I, I am curious to see, you know, just how, you know, what the, the impact of the virus itself has been in terms of who's going to be actually ready to play. Sam, speaking of all that, you're a pro's pro. How do you feel about leaving your family to head on down there? I don't love it. It's it's a tough choice where I just, you know, for one, I've got a wife who, who's always had a, you know, I've been lucky enough to, to where she just gets it. It's like if you're doing this job, you kind of have to try to attack it a certain way if you want to survive and, and thrive. And so her support is huge, and she's been very supportive of the fact that I'm going to go ahead and, and cover half of this time in Orlando. But – I, I, it's, it's funny. Listen, I, all the years we've been talking on the air, guys. I mean, you know, we've become friends, and so I'll tell you that last week when I didn't visit with you on the air, uh, it was another reminder why I'm uneasy about leaving. We, thankfully, there's a happy ending here, but on our little vacation that we took, just tried to sneak away for a few days, and unfortunately had a slip up where we were exposed to somebody who was positive, and. We've been in quarantine for the last six days and just got our test results back today for the whole family. I mean, we've been on pins and needles or at the edge of our seat for uh, quite a few days now and, and just this morning got four negative tests. And so, like, when you go through that, that's another, you know, that's, that's, that's I'll put it this way, that's why I didn't want to go to the first half in Orlando was just that this thing is so hot and heavy right now that it, it feels tough to, to leave the family at the moment. Now, doesn't mean it's going to feel any different in six weeks, but, you know, we'll see. You you bring up the, the time it took to get test results back. Is that going to be a sensitive issue with not only the NBA but sports in general, that they're doing testing and getting results uh, fairly immediately and that uh, is not the case for the public at large? Are they going to face criticism for that? They could, and, and I just I, – I, I, I don't know where I land on that, and I do feel like all of a sudden – like I've thought about writing about it, but I can't crystallize my own thoughts because the truth is it's just the optics are bad for the NBA and they're probably not going to get better. But I think, you know, I've always taken some pride in being, having the ability to, to think critically. And it's like, 
just where are you going to target your frustration? It's not the NBA's fault that our country and our government has, you know, struggled so mightily to to have a system in place that it has any consistency, that it has a quick turnaround. Um, I mean, guys, leading into not to get into the weeds too much, but leading into the slip up last week where we got exposed. Um, we had taken precautionary tests just to be on the safe side. And um, those tests, and this is for us and another family as well, those tests took nine days to come back. And in the end, that, that created, you know, that was part of the reason that this even happened. Um, you know, then on the, on the second test, they told us it would take between 24 and 36 hours, and it took four days. So, you know, the NBA is turning things around in 12 hours. Uh, I mean, there's even tests out there. I know this for a fact. If, if you're willing to pay $450 for a test, you know, NBA teams have access to those where the turnaround time is two hours. So th- there's obviously a kind of a have and the have nots thing happening here. But I just, you know, I think it just has more to do with the struggles that the country is going through. I mean, if the NBA and baseball and all these leagues shut down right now and donated all of their tests and said that's the right thing to do, ethically it would be a very powerful thing to do, but it would be a drop in the bucket uh, in terms of what's actually needed. I know exactly what you're talking about here. Not not so much the, the haves and the haves-nots, but I have a daughter who's uh, who has a friend who tested positive. And so she, my daughter, immediately uh, uh, went in for a test, and she uh, luckily just got her results back, and uh, it was negative. So it's, it, I don't know, we're all we're all a little worried about everything because the ramifications of this of this particular virus are are tricky. Some people get it, and and they they still over a long period of time, have not been able to get back to normal. And that's one of the mysteries here. Some people, uh, it seems as though the results of, of their uh, contracting it, they, they don't go away, Sam. And, and for yeah. a basketball player who's, if you, if you can't breathe in your lungs the, the way you used to, I mean, that beyond the, the tragedies all around the country, that is devastating. So, so anyway, let me let me let me switch the subject to the opposite side of it. When I heard Donovan Mitchell talking today, I told Jake the first thing that came to mind is there seemed to be a bounce in his step. It, it was nice to hear him talk about basketball. He seemed to be upbeat about about that aspect of it. And he, he seemed quote unquote normal again to me. Is that fair? Yeah, no, he seemed good. Uh, you know, he he was affable with different reporters who he deals with all the time. I chuckled when he gave uh, Eric Woodyard from ESPN a hard time because he couldn't, you know, find the mute button and, and Donovan was ribbing him a little bit. And he did. He seemed light. They seemed good. Um, you know, I, I think, honestly, unless these guys are just putting on a good face, even beyond the jazz, the players that I've talked to on these Zoom calls, uh, seem like they're, you know, they're, they're enjoying themselves. Now let's come back to me in a month and see how they feel, and it could be different because, you know, how much cornhole can you play in ping pong and NBA 2K and and how many, you know, how often can you go fishing? Now that I mean, all that stuff sounds, sounds great to me, and maybe I'll be doing it here in the not so distant future. But 
Uh, it does seem like Donovan was in a good place. And, I mean, they're certainly on my short list of teams that uh, I'm really curious to see what they can do here because you've got the obvious Donovan, Rudy Gobert dynamic. You've got the Bogdanovich absence. Um, and you have a team, you know, that has just it had such high expectations going into the year, and they still want to pull it together. You know, I actually I talked to Quinn Snyder today for that story that I mentioned, and, you know, he seemed to be in a good place and, and trying to attack this challenge with his team. So, you know, we'll see what they can do. Sam, what did you think about Donovan's answer that he needs to work on his passing and pass more? Yeah, I mean, it seemed natural. You know, it's like he he kind of alluded to his rookie year, right, and how he kind of went down memory lane a little bit and, and, and you know, reminding people that, all right, he just he just absolutely jumped on the scene and was just such a specimen and, and such a natural scorer um, that – and then he kept elevating that and becoming a more and more dangerous threat. But, you know, the, the passing is a part of the game that obviously he wants to focus on and wants to have it evolve. And it reminds me of a chat I've had with, with Johnny Bryant, the jazz assistant who works with him so often and how they, they had, you know, it's too good to be true, but they legitimately train with Donovan occasionally to jazz music where uh, Johnny had tried to teach him kind of the merits of getting in a headspace where, you know, the, the game itself becomes – like a bunch of musicians trying to vibe and, and learning about chemistry and passing is part of that. You know, do you know where that guy is, is at as he spins off the, the screen and just, you know, the way that your guys move and, and shoot him a look and know what you want to do. All those things, you know, you know, a guy who comes to mind is like the greats on the passing front, you know, the Steve Nash's, the Jason kids, guys like that. I mean, if Donovan could even just get a slice of, of that in his game, then he's going to take it to the next level again. I mean, he's he's an all-star already, but you know, I think being able to to keep defenses guessing even more because of his, you know, if he's able to get better as a playmaker, I think that would be big. You know, furthering that same subject a little bit, uh, or at least uh, uh, maybe an offshoot of that. How often, Sam, is it that a player really makes progress? after a certain period of time in the league via the what's between the years. Uh, I was thinking about that with, with Donovan. And um, I suppose players in general can continue to get better physically. But at some point, the progress that's made is between the years, is it not? Yeah, it is. It is. And, and I talked to Donovan about that early this season, back in the good old days when we could speak to people in person. And um, I remember him talking about, you know, that mental evolution. And just it's, it's cliche, but it's true, like that idea that when things slow down for you, and he basically said everything was starting to slow down. And and that's big. I mean, even a guy that I mentioned, Jason Kidd was a total natural as a point guard. And I mean, I, actually, I used to watch Jason when he was in high school because he grew up in my neck of the woods. But then, I don't know what year it was, but it was fairly deep into his career Next thing you know, he kind of reads the room and, and he decides that he's got to improve his three-point shot and he becomes a specialist on that front. And that is a physical skill that he worked on, but it starts with you know, that mental approach and the basketball IQ to figure out what's going to make him even more dangerous. So it's always fun to see guys get better. I mean, the guy who certainly is the poster boy until he retires, uh, or the poster old man, if you will, is, is LeBron. It's just... Because it's just it's wild that year you know fourteen fifteen sixteen 
he kept getting better and he and he kept adding things to his game. So uh, I always love seeing it. Sam, uh, I know you love it when I blindside you with things, and and I'm going to do that, unfortunately. But I hope uh, – let me let me at least tell you why. So uh, the, the Washington Post released an in-depth expose about the Washington uh, NFL franchise and uh, basically a culture of sexual harassment that has been allowed to exist over the past 15 or so years. And you've been busy. I'm sure you haven't had a chance to read that thing word for word. But my question to you is it's very similar to what the Mavericks and Mark Cuban went through a few years ago. Review your thoughts uh, on that with us, if you will, how the NBA handled that and the outcome of it. Um, you know, I think by and large, pretty good. Um, I'm drawing a blank on the woman's name. I want to say it's Cynthia. Something. Right. You know, the, the most in, impactful move they made was, you know, hiring a respected uh, black female executive who, by all accounts, has really been allowed to to change the culture of, of their franchise. And really, you know, Mark in particular had to look in the mirror. And my read of that situation in large part was that he, I mean, and I don't want to say this, you know, and, and miss the mark here, but like he was so fixated on the basketball that I, it does seem like he lost sight of a lot of very important parts of his franchise during that time. But then also within that, there were specific examples of him seemingly looking the other way. And so I, I think it's gone well. Um, I would also be lying to you if I didn't admit that I, from a media standpoint, it wouldn't. I think it'd be great if, if we could kind of circle back and, and do some kind of, you know, toothy reporting, if that makes sense, and to, to actually see if even if what I am saying and what I see is, is true. You know, I mean, we haven't necessarily gone back to that story and said, let's audit the whole thing and, and see how it's, it's working. But, you know, the league took it seriously. They obviously came down on Mark. Um, you know, he in turn made some pretty significant donations to, to different agencies that, you know, that were essentially preaching the, the power and the need for, for equality. And so, you know, they, they try to attack these things when they pop up, but it was not a good day for the Mavericks or the league. Not a good month, rather. I wonder sometimes, we should all be asking ourselves these questions, shouldn't we, Sam, that if we see something like that happen in a workplace, we should get to the point where we're comfortable jumping all over it, right, and and making it better. But a lot of people are a little uncomfortable with that kind of thing. Yeah, no, they are. Well, it's, you know, that goes for – you know, that goes for sexism, that goes for racism. I mean, this it sounds like a weird thing to say, but as as awful as 2020 has been for everybody, you know, and, and parts of it for myself included, even though we're still extremely blessed. I mean, one of my favorite parts is just as a person, I've never been more comfortable having uncomfortable conversations. And I've, in a weird, weird kind of way, I've actually gotten kind of addicted to, like, every time they pop up, I make sure not to look the other way, not to shy away from it. And, you know, and it's even had some, I've had some personal fallout with friends and neighbors and family where, you know, you tell people things they don't want to hear, there's going to be a consequence. But, you know, I've decided, and I think a lot of people need to decide right now that, you know, whether it is that sexism is not okay, whether it is, you know, somebody not treating somebody uh fairly and equally because of, of the color of their skin, you got to say something. And, you know, if everybody was doing that, we'd be in a better place.
And not only that, Sam, but also those who have children uh, and you're bringing your kids up, man, you've got to teach them to not to tolerate anything like that, right? I mean, it seems like uh, yeah. maybe that's no, a healthy sure. discussion to have, too. Yeah, and I mean, I've had people in my circle kind of say, hey, that's that's the best you can do is get your kids on the right track. And I, and I agree, and that's not easy on its own, right? So if that's all you do, that's pretty good. I, I, I kind of feel like things are so bad. Like, we got to go farther than that, you know, so it's the neighbor, it's the friend, you know, and I've even, again, I've had friends where, recently, where they, they just said things that, that you know, that, that you might have looked the other way uh, a few years ago, and now you just, you got to stop and say, no, you, you, what are you doing? You can't, you just can't say that anymore. Um, and here's why, you know, go, go read a book, go watch a documentary, just educate yourself. Um, and, you know, we've been trying to do that a lot. It's funny, we are actually tonight in our household, and we were very, very late on this, but finally going to watch uh, Just Mercy, the, the Michael B. Jordan movie about the uh, the attorney who uh, took on you know death row cases in Alabama. And, and he's actually, Brian Stevenson, the author of that book, is uh, has been integral in essentially kind of the, uh, the curriculum for NBA teams in Orlando. A lot of the programming that they are doing uh, is, is relating to you know, his book and, and, and that story. And so, you know, that's kind of become the part of the NBA's fabric and they try to make a difference. So it's just always trying to look out for things like that. Just one more thing on that, uh, Sam. Uh, on a personal note, my family watched that movie together, I want to say uh, maybe, I don't know, a couple months ago. And uh, that's happy, great. Yeah. happy to do it, yep. Well, and I, I'm excited um, to watch it, too, because we had a really cool podcast interview with Garrett Temple of the Nets um, where he had shared his story about how during this suspension of the season, he actually, before it all came to a halt, he went to a, a screening of Just Mercy with the director and through that experience uh, met the attorney who is featured in the movie. And, uh, and and that is the reason that Garrett started working on his law degree virtually, you know, during this time, which is pretty darn cool. And his plan is for when he retires one of these days, and he's on the back end for sure, that, that he wants to do something similar. He wants to have the ability, you know, to fight for, for people who got lost in the system and weren't treated fairly. So, I mean, it's extremely powerful stuff. Well, Sam, thank you for coming on with us as always. And, hey, we're really happy that you and you, uh, yours are well. Uh, hope it continues that way. Appreciate you guys. Likewise. Talk to you next week. Thanks, Sam. Sam Amick, our good friend from The Athletic, who jumps on with us each and every Thursday. Yeah, good stuff. You're just happy you com- uh, co- uh, complimented your column. Are you not happy when someone compliments you? <laughs> I know it doesn't happen. Uh, often, uh, oh, hey, I was just about to say something nice. Why didn't you? I'm why did kidding. you need to mix I'm in a shot kidding. there? I was going to say a compliment from a writer as accomplished as Sam is quite a compliment. I was about to say something nice, <laughs> and you mix mix in a defensive shot right there. Just to I'm make sorry. me feel bad. I I truly have. I apologize. <laughs> well, considering how much I tease you. I can't blame you too much. All right. Stay tuned. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.